Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey parents, Tim Wright here, along with Dr. Michael Gurian, another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And several episodes ago, uh, we did uh, what I thought was a very fun episode where uh, I had gone online and did some research on some of the tough questions that kids ask their parents. And then we threw them blindly at Michael and he wrestled with it. And so we're going to do another stump, Dr. Michael Gurian. Uh, I went on the internet again. And uh, looked up some of the really hard questions that parents wrestle with. And Michael hasn't seen these. I have not. He's going to get them sight unseen. Uh, And I picked out five of them. And we'll get through as many of them as we can today. We do want to say, as always, a big thanks to Dr. Greg Jantz and his team up there at the Center Place of Hope up in the Seattle area. Uh, It is a top 10 facility for depression treatment. Their caring and experienced staff provide professional excellence in the treatment for depression, anxiety eating disorders, trauma, addiction, abusive relationships, and much, much more. And so if you ever need someone like that, you can go to wonderofparenting.com for more information. Also, a big thanks to Man Cave. Men all need to be caring, actively engaged, vested, and encouraged. Their mission is to improve the well-being of children by increasing the number of children growing up with engaged, committed, and responsible fathers or male role models. And we've talked a lot about that on this show. And so Dr. Marion Hill and his group, can be accessed as well through wonderofparenting.com. All right, Michael, I've got five questions here for you. And um, I'm guessing that at some point along the journey from birth through kids finally moving off on their own, parents have asked these kinds of questions. And um, so here's the first one. What's the right age to allow my child to date? What's the right age to allow my child to date? Uh, now, um, you know, when your kids are starting to move into puberty, the answer is never, but <laughs> that's not feasible. Right. Uh, so, um, give us a little bit of the brain science okay. behind, you know, puberty, maturation, attraction, and then let's talk about dating and, and how to make it the best experience it can be for our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I both face this question. So, it, right. It's a great question. I, we, what we said to our kids was, uh, so we have two girls and what we said to our girls was when, when you're 16, that's when you get to go out on a date. But what did we mean by a date? We meant, you know, you and him alone and, um, 
you know, you go out for evening, you and him alone. And that's a date. But they certainly had relationships right before that mm-hmm. and um, and connections with boys and and they they're both heterosexual so so um you could transfer this if you have same sex but my i had two heterosexual girls so you know it's boys and they they had connections at camp and i know they kissed you know i'm sure i know that before they were 16 and and did dating type stuff but our rule was um you're not going to go out on a date alone with these boys until you're 16 so the the reason was developmental um we had to set a target and developmentally, you know, earlier than that is pretty young. Um, and and you were asking about the brain, you know, the, the biggest issue, really, the biggest issue, let's assume that parents have taught kids about sex and everything and that schools have done that. So that certainly mm-hmm. should have been done by the time they're 10 or 11. The biggest issue is that their frontal lobe and the prefrontal are just not really well connected yet to the middle of the brain where the emotions and the sexual impulses and all these things are. So... So adolescence is about making those connections. Um, that really is kind of from a brain-based point of view why adolescence exists. Uh, it's to get the frontal connected to everything else. In girls, it does connect quicker than in boys, uh, naturally. But but still, these girls are going to do high-risk things because their frontal is not going to say, nope, that's not a good idea. Uh, so that's why we set these limits as parents because we don't want them to do that high-risk thing which in this case is going to be sexual intercourse. We don't want them to do that. Um, and we think that if they go on a date, they might. And 16 is mm-hmm. too young um, uh, in our opinion. And we have a good opinion. <laughs> you know, we do want to put that off. We want to put that off until they've been with someone many, many months or some would say years. You know, we want to put that off. So um, uh, I, I that's what the limit we set. And that's the reason we set that limit. Did you allow your daughters to go out on group dates yeah, yeah. prior to that? Definitely. And we just didn't call them dates, you know, right. We just, they're going out with a group. Absolutely. For us, the line was just, you can't go out with that boy alone. And of course, by then they can drive, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. would be alone driving, going somewhere, you know, that that's yeah. why 16 also was the driving thing. It's like, okay, it's a good rite of passage at 16, to go along with the driving rite of passage and the independence and the individuation, you know, um, uh, but the group stuff and that, and that's where they ended up doing stuff with boys. I'm, you know, I know that now they're growing and I talked to them about it. You know, they'd go to a, a party that those parents didn't know about. And neither did we, and they'd tell the little <laughs> lies and say they were going to their girlfriend's house, but actually they were going to this party and, and okay, all that happened, but at least they were in groups and mm-hmm. at least we had, instilled in them the reason why we wanted them to wait and the importance of, of, you know, of waiting. So that was in their brain somewhere. Every family is going to have their values around this and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the things that are important to them. And hopefully, as you said, parents are talking through those issues early on so that when the question comes, uh, you know, so-and-so has asked me out on a date or I want to ask so-and-so out on a date, They'll know ahead of time whether they're old enough or not to just go by themselves, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that that helps. But there's still a lot of pressure out there um, from their peers, you know, to to date early, uh, to get in relationships, uh, and they don't even really understand cognitively what those mean. There's just the language out there. I I think of my seven year old granddaughter uh, who has a boyfriend. 
right? right. Uh-huh. And she gets so embarrassed about it. And then, well, grandpa, he's not my boyfriend anymore. He's just my friend. And she at least knows there's a distinction, uh-huh. but has no idea, right, at the age of seven, what a boyfriend really means. Um, I'm not even really sure 12 or 13-year-olds know what a boyfriend or girlfriend is, but they start already at those ages talking about those things. So it's important for us as parents just to constantly have those conversations with our kids. Yeah, and and I'm not too worried if they say I have a girlfriend or I have a boyfriend right. because like my my kids did at 12 and yep. all that. But or and one of them would say, you know, jo- Josh was this friend. Josh and I are going to get married one day. You know, yes. and we're like, oh, 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 maybe. You know, because that I wouldn't worry about. That's not right. like like you're implying. That's not really. I mean, unless you think your child. Okay, I'll give the caveats. If someone's listening to this and their child is saying that and you think your child is promiscuous right now, mm-hmm. then there's worry. And probably what's happened is that child's been your child's been sexually abused and and you mm-hmm. know there's that's that whole cycle. But it, it, in most cases, it's not going to be a worry that they say um, this is their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And they are mm-hmm. just experimenting. They're trying words out. They've seen it in movies, right? They've seen it around them. And they may even have seen a promiscuous 13-year-old with another promiscuous 13 year old mm-hmm. who are boyfriend girlfriend and who are are actually having sex or certainly oral you know and maybe maybe intercourse you know and then um uh then yeah i think we as parents would worry about that and talk to our kids about that mm-hmm. but just the use of the boyfriend and all that or i'm going to marry right. him one day not a worry right and that's again why parents just need to be very open have those discussions uh share their own stories about dating, even though the kids will go, ooh, don't want right. to hear that. Got to right? share that. Yep. Yep. Uh, how important that is. Uh, good. The next one is it's sort of related here. What is the right time to speak to my child about sex? Okay. Uh, yeah, I know there's some de- developmental disagreement among people about this. Um, so, so I'm going to take religion and that kind of thing completely out, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just science based. So I think when we look at brain science, I think we're going to go along with the fourth to fifth grade, you know, which is what schools use. Um, uh, so we're talking about nine, you know, nine to 10. Uh, it doesn't hurt the child to talk about, about where babies come from earlier. It's hard for them to understand it. Yeah. Right. And so, um, uh, that's why it generally isn't, isn't done because you can just see they're not really understanding it, you know, but they get to be nine or 10. There's enough brain development. It's, of course, still yucky and embarrassing, and they'll laugh about it and all that. But, um, but they can kind of get it now, and um, and and I I think it's important now for them to be getting it um, because you're actually going to be setting them up for more responsible use of their bodies. You know, to know uh, stranger danger better, to know mm-hmm. the sexual part of that. You know, and and to also know how they want to direct their bodies. And because if you're teaching them about sex, you're teaching them that this is, you know, something that that's important to you and sacred to you. And you only give it when it fits with a relationship. And so then you can start making for them at 10 years old, you can start making the sex and social emotional connection, which is hard for them to make at seven. You know, it's just, mm. again, it's just, it's not, their brains are not really ready for all of that. But by the time they get to fourth or fifth grade, you can have be having that conversation with them. So that does set them up to have a, a let's say more responsible or a safer um, and a more self higher self-esteem kind of sexual adolescence. Um, because, because the way they, the way we use sex in adolescence and the way we use it developmentally 
does affect our self-esteem or our core mm. self-development. And, and this is why, you know, the unfortunate, um, uh, like people say, okay, that girl at 13 is having sex. She's a slut right now we are trying to train our kids not to be saying things like that right right but why why is that 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 gets in kids people's heads it gets in there because because people sort of know okay that's too early she shouldn't be doing yep. that right there's something wrong with that mm -hmm. um and i'm not talking about blaming her or all that but that that's what they're what the kids in their culture are trying to say because it isn't really good for a 13 year old to have sex right not in america so um, so they can start thinking about those things by 10. Mm -hmm. And that's so if it hasn't happened at nine, I would definitely think parents and schools should do it by the time they're 10. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. couple little stories you, you uh, sort of triggered for me. I remember uh, I was in fifth grade when we had our first sex education class in school, public school. Um, now, this is back in the... 60s so it was a long right, time me ago me too yeah. uh and um we we were fortunate in that we had a male teacher in fifth grade so he had all the boys and i remember him talking about intercourse and i had no context for it at all at right. my age right no context at all and i can still to this day remember so i you know i don't know how old i was 10 11 years old I remember raising my hand and asking the question, do you have to ask your doctor first before <laughs> you do that? Great. Right. Because there was just no <laughs> right. context for it. Uh, and then I think about my colleague. I worked with him for uh, over 20 years and his, his son came home from his first sex education class in school and he walked into his dad and he was just horror on his face. He said, you had to do that two times. Uh, and, <laughs> You know, so th we have to remember, as you're saying, this brain development stuff is really important uh, and to find appropriate ways from a brain science perspective to talk about sex. Now, you didn't mention it, but I'm guessing that there are things that we can start teaching our kids about bodies and about uh, intimacy and, and privacy and all those things from the time that they're much younger. Oh yeah, that's um, a different topic. Yeah, privacy. Yeah, different topic. Yep. Absolutely, developmentally, yep. privacy. Um, uh, but in a way, you're right. I mean, it is a lead-in maybe to sex ed. Yep. But that, but I see it as a different topic because at a certain point, that child does not want to bathe with the adults anymore, right? The child right. wants privacy, or the child does not want the adult watching them go to the bathroom anymore. The child wants privacy, mm -hmm. and the child wants to change clothes at a certain, you know. So, and and remember, some kids are more modest than others, and that's yes. genetic. I mean, modesty comes in on the genome. Um, 
uh, barring ex some external trauma. I mean, that's just it, all these things come in on the genome and modesty is one of them. And so a parent can have two or three kids and see that one of them gets modest really early. And the other one, oh, you know, it doesn't happen until five or six or whatever. And all that can, is within the range of normal. So so all of those things are really good. And privacy is part of individuation. You know, it's part of it's part of and it's a good thing. It's part of a child saying, I am, you know, I am becoming more independent. Mm -hmm. And 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 childhood should be a journey of independence. So we really do want our kids to become more independent because that's how they will then flourish later in life. So so we should see privacy as that. And as being helpful for that. Uh, yep. And then, you know, and then it may well set up the sexual, then the sexual could come into the privacy is like, okay, you know, and this is a private thing too. And of course, moms are always doing this with boys and masturbation, you know, trying to get them to like, right. I mean, it's a joke, but, but oh, come on, can you stop, you know, because the yep. child's doing it and the mom walks in and all that. And, and okay, that's, that's your thing. That's private. That's independent to you. I don't need to be involved in that, you know, mm -hmm. and all of these things can, can connect with each other. So you're right. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. And we, and we just need to remember as parents that we all were raised, you know, with certain ideas about sex. We, we have our values, we have our own skittishness about certain things and we have to, you know, be aware of our own stuff as well. And, and you say this all the time, you have to know your child and uh, you know, you may have one child who's really comfortable with sexually explicit terms and how babies are born mm -hmm. and another child at that same age who just isn't going to get it at all. And so it's really a matter of knowing your kids and, and uh, being appropriate with your kids. But most of all, I think what we both say is we want to make sure that our children are mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually ready for sex when that moment comes and they can make good, wise decisions in the heat of the moment. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it sometimes helps to have you know, the old thing of having men talk to boys about it, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. dads or men talk to boys about it and girls and women talk to girls about it. Um, well, it can be fine to have any parent talk to any child about it, of course. But but sometimes, you know, if a dad's trying to talk about this stuff with girls, they it's they can't hear it. They're not hearing it. And mm -hmm. part of it is because they're embarrassed because the, the dad is so different than them. Right. Yes. And and it's unconscious. It's subconscious. It's nothing against the dad. That's just they're they're so embarrassed that their brains are shutting down. They're not really hearing. Whereas if a mom or an aunt or the female teacher, or you know, talks to the girls about it, they they don't have to fight through that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this thing of doing it in same sex groups, I think. And I'm referring back to what you mentioned about when we yes. were kids, it was done that way. Um, I, I think it's good. There's good wisdom there. And yeah. it doesn't mean that, you know, if a, if a female teacher is the teacher and she's teaching sex ed, then she's going to teach sex ed and she's right. doing a great job. But but it's worth it in the class. You know, let's say the guys can take the boys in gym class, too, yep. and talk to them about it, because then there won't be that cross-sex embarrassment. And that cross-sex embarrassment is a brain shutdown. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and we don't want that. We want the kids taking in what we're saying to them. Yep. Uh, yep. So let's all rethink the same sex. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, and it's not anti the other sex no. to have the same sex person talk to that sex about it. Right. Yeah. The, yes. Very well said. Um, okay. Next one. This, okay, this moves go. us to a very different topic. You haven't hit me with uh, too hard a one yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how how important are grades to my child's success? 
Wow, great question. Um, yeah. I'm going to look at it at some different levels. So overall, I want to say they are important. Mm-hmm. And I think we should hold that view as parents um, because we need to hold a view, you know, and it's a slippery slope if we don't hold that view. Um, why is it a slippery slope? Because we could say they're not important. And then the guys and the gals, the kids are not learning. And then also they're going into other stuff. They're on their devices. They're you know, social media, they're, they're doing other stuff because we have said grades are not important. And so they're not doing their homework and right. they're not learning and they're not studying. So I think we have to hold that line. And I certainly did as a parent and I would beg every parent to do so, but <laughs> I've got two butts on that. Number one, uh, this whole thing about the way we do grades in school, right. And, and, uh, that has to be rethought, I think, in a lot of schools uh, along a number of lines. One line is, especially for boys, boys get worse grades than girls on average. And mm. a lot of that is stuff we've talked about. The teachers aren't trained in teaching boys, so the boys don't do as well. And they have more behavioral issues and they get disciplined more and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they get worse grades. Um, uh, and because grades are important, that becomes important for college. And so that's number two is we want to try to get the schools to to have gender equity here for the boys mm-hmm. um, without forgetting the girls, obviously, but to to have equity there so that everyone can get the good grades because a lot of our kids, we want them to go to college, not all, but a lot. And so for them, the, the grades is gonna, are going to be really important. The third thing I would say is, okay, for those kids who are not going to go to college, who who we know by the time they're 14, 15, they're, they're not getting good grades. You know, they're, the school is not for them for whatever mm-hmm. external reason or environmental reason in the school, or they themselves have, have a disability or, or, or whatever it is, it's not working. So at 16, they're going to go on a vocational track and, and they're going to probably get a GED. They have to, so they'll get a GED, but now they're going to go become an electrician or they're going to go become a plumber, or they're going to follow the parent into a business. And at 16, um, they don't need the grades, right? Because they're going into a vocational right. track. Okay, so for that group, we would say, okay, the gr- grades are not so important as you get into adolescence because you're you're going in this track. But I still would hold the two lines if possible as a parent. One, grades are important. And two, I as a parent have to help the schools to understand that they have half of their population are getting worse grades, you know, and that half tends to be boys, uh, are getting worse grades. And we got to do something about that because grades are important. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do I balance family and career? <laughs> okay, now that's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think there's a tip for that, but nope. let me let me say a few things. Um, yeah, 
have not we all been through that? We absolutely have. So number one, you are not alone. If you're asking that right. question, you are not alone. There is no human being who has a family who does not love that family and at the same time has to work, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if they have to work, some people can just right. stay at home, but most are going to be working. So um, how do you do it? I, I'm going to give three suggestions. One, ritualize your day. Mm. So uh, if you ritualize your day and set up self-discipline around your day, you can, you can better chance of having the balance. So what that means is you have the ritual in the morning where you're with family, um, uh, around breakfast or around taking them to school or, you know, you know, whatever that ritual is, you have that ritual and then you're working, let's say. I'm just creating a scenario. Then let's say you're working mm -hmm. nine hours. So you work those nine hours, but you ritualize into the middle of that day some connectivity. If it's with your spouse over lunch or just a conversation at lunch, okay. Maybe it's with your kids, you know, maybe during their lunch hour, maybe depending on their school situation, but you ritualize something even inside your nine hours. Uh, maybe it's sending emails or love notes or something like that. And then you ritualize after. So yes, you still have emails you have to do, but you ritualize from four to five or from five to six or whatever that is that works for you for your family time. You have your meal together after whatever is the kids' athletic practices or whatever. You have your meal together. That's ritualized. You have no devices at the table with you. You have no devices for an hour or a half hour of this ritualized time that you have with your family. And then they go do their thing. And then, you know, it's you and your spouse and, or you do your email and all that. And then you have your ritual time with your spouse. Um, let's say that's nine to 10. Uh, I just laid out the times for a scenario, but, but however it fits for other people, the key concept to that is ritualize it so that you can have the balance. Mm -hmm. You, you, we tend to lose the balance when we don't have these rituals in place. And so what we do is we work 12 hours straight, right? And we don't have contact. Mm -hmm. And, and I think the rituals help us to have the contact with our family. And, and, and then kind of what happens is we psychologically don't feel that our work and uh, home life are as out of balance. Mm -hmm. We don't feel it as much because we've ritualized it. So we make it happen, you know? And, um, and that is, that is my best advice because this is going to be an eternally unresolved issue. And even if you ritualize it, I mean, I, I did, I used my own advice. I have, have had a close relationship with my family, but I still look back and say, eh, I think I worked too hard. I don't think I had mm -hmm. enough work-life balance. I'm 64 yeah. looking back. Right. And I, and I did it. So I know that I did have some good balance. I know that objectively, but I guess what I'm saying to people who are listening is that it's okay if you get to be 64 and even if you ritualized it, you still go, shoot, <laughs> I, still, yeah. I still blew it because I think there's something in our, our brains that, it, that makes us really hard on ourselves about work-life balance you know, and mm -hmm. I think we are hard on ourselves because I I think more people have work-life balance or work-family balance. To me, to me, it was really work-family. That was the balance yes. I was looking for because I yep. was living my life by working, but it was balancing with family. I think that, um, I think that we have more than we think and that if our kids look back on it, they'll very often will say, yeah, no, yeah, you know, you, you, you mm -hmm. did this. Like, yeah, you coached me in soccer. Uh, 
that like that was a ritual. Uh, yep. Yeah, we had family meals together. Yeah, no, you, 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 we, you had balance. But there's something in us that is always yep. hard on ourselves. So I would say if you can ritualize it and make that happen, then don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like I am. That's, yeah, that's that's great advice. And and you're right. It's it's um, a, a constant push-pull for for parents. And, um, you know, f- f- a number of parents are, are at least able to get weekends off so they can do some things with their families. Uh, the Friday night pizza movie night, whatever it is, those are the things that you ritualize. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the, the interesting things with uh, younger generations coming up is that they've kind of looked at us and they said, yeah, we, we think we can do it a little better. And so they're really pushing their companies now for flex time, uh, you know, being able to, uh, you know, take more time off for this or that. We're, we're fighting more for dads to get time off when they, the family has a baby. Mm-hmm. So we've learned some things uh, in the last generation or two that are really positive but it will still always be sort of that challenge, especially when the kids move into the teen years and they are uber busy running from this to this to this. And um, and you're still working your job. And and uh, so you're right. Give yourself some grace. Um, make a commitment to be the best parent you can be and then enjoy the ride is the, what we can say from our perspective. Yeah. Uh, last question. How do I balance protecting my child? while allowing her to experience the consequences of her actions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm more for the allowing her to experience the consequences of her actions. I think kids are experiential learners and it's by experience that the body and the brain learn, right? Um they need the experiences to learn. So we can we can so we don't have to overprotect them is what I'm saying. We right. can protect them by teaching them good rules and mm-hmm. teaching them uh, uh, good relational rules. You know, like, like, uh, do you think you should have said you're sorry? I think you should have said you're sorry. I think you should go say you're sorry, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's us actually teaching them good rules and yep. um, that's part of protecting them. Um, but then once we've done that, right, then let them experience life. Mm-hmm. And that is how they'll really learn <laughs> yeah. um, uh, beyond our setting up a structure internally for them. They're going to learn by experience. So so our only mistake would be if they don't get the consequence. Um, well, then they're not going to learn. So we definitely right. need them to get the consequence. And and a mistake that we sometimes make as parents is we overprotect them from the consequence. Um, uh, mm, you know. Uh, that's the consequence. Like this is, this is more metaphorical than anything else, but this is something my kids still joke with me about when I was two daughters, when I'm raising them, I said to them, okay, I'm going to give you the rule. Look, never hit a guy and never slap a guy without expecting that he is going to hit you back. Mm -hmm. And, and the reason I said that is, is, you know, a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, right part of masculinity training was you never hit a woman. Right. Right. And you and I were raised in that uh, in our right. generation. You never hit a woman. Um, yep. and, and some guys still did. Okay. But like this generation, these generations are not being taught that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yet girls are often seeing images of women hitting guys, 
you know, like in movies, it's constant. Girls are mm-hmm. constantly slapping guys and hitting guys and the guys don't hit them back. And, and I wanted to say to my daughters, the logical consequence of hitting someone is they will probably hit you back, especially if they're a kid, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have impulse control yet. So, right. so it, this is more metaphorical because I don't believe my daughters ever hit anyone and I don't believe my daughters were ever hit. But what I was trying to do was, was say, you're going to get the logical consequence of that. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to protect you from that because I can't, I won't be there when you hit this guy. So you're going to get this consequence and, and you got to know that. Um, So I I use that metaphorically because I don't want anyone to get hit, but I use that metaphorically to say, we need to teach them that they are going to get that consequence. Mm -hmm. And if they get that consequence, they have to learn from that. We can't protect Mm -hmm. them from that. Yeah, I think we see that. We hear this from educators a lot. Uh, the parents who will come in and and argue on behalf of their child because their child got a bad grade, even though the child didn't do the homework. Didn't do the homework. Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you you have to allow kids to learn through their consequences. Now, I know you always give caveats. Uh, you know, if the child is in danger, right, uh, right. you know, uh, or uh, risk of abuse, so those are all the caveats. But right. we're talking generally living life allowing our kids to uh, to maybe you know to say look I don't think this is going to end well for you but if you got to try it you got to try it and then you know we're there for them when they when they do have the the tears after uh something didn't work out and um yeah, and and I know home. that you you love to say this stuff builds resilience in our kids well it does it builds resilience it builds character it it builds yep. brain development i mean it's this uh, this whole this wonderful question that was being asked is is really a question about about how life energy works, you know, and, and this is how life energy works. You, you give out this energy and people come back at you and you learn from the way people come back at you. And so you do develop resilience from that and you develop new skills from that and new problem solving and you set up better patterns for your life. And all of that happens for these kids because they go through the process. Yep. And yes, we must protect them from danger. You're right. Uh, that's I should have said that in the beginning. I say that every time. We must protect them from danger, but we don't have to overprotect them from consequences. That was really the, yep, the gist. Yeah. Yep. Well, we got through all five. Oh wow. And, okay. And now that does not mean, listeners, that there aren't other questions out there. And uh, <laughs> you know, we look forward always to answering your questions. If you've got questions for us, you can go to wonderofparenting.com wonderofparenting.com. And uh, there's a place of a form that you can fill out, send us your questions, and we'll put those in the queue. We also pick up questions once in a while from Wonder of Parenting on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook and you put in Wonder of Parenting as a search and you join, we'll, I will let you in as soon as I get the notification. And there's a lot of wisdom on that page, a lot mm. of parents, over a thousand people on that, and they're sharing wisdom with each other and their questions. And uh, once in a while, we pick something out of there because it's such a good question. And uh, so we appreciate all of you listening. Thank you, Michael, for um, for doing stump Michael Gurian today. You thank did a good job. <laughs> thank you, Tim. I liked the consequence of that. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be with you again next week for Wonder of Parenting, a brain science approach to parenting.